Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Wednesday, July 12th. NATO leaders are in Lithuania discussing how to best continue to support Ukraine's fight against Russia. We get the latest on the summit from Global News Chief Political Correspondent David Aitken. Strike action at BC ports has been going on now for over 10 days. Financial experts estimate the strike is costing the economy at least $500 million a day. We discuss the issue and the impact it's having on Canadians with Pedro Atunas, Chief Economist from the Conference Board of Canada. And finally, it's flapjack season. We had the chance to catch up with veteran Stampede Caravan pancake flipper Mike McIver, who's been part of the caravan for over 40 years and just happens to be the father of our own on-air contributor, Dave McIver. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and other NATO leaders are wrapping up talks this morning at the NATO summit in Lithuania. Global's chief political correspondent, David Aiken, is on site and joins us now. Good morning, David. How you doing? Good. How are you? Well, it's been a busy day here. I mean, a busy couple of days. There's a lot on the agenda for uh, for these guys. And it's a bigger story, this particular summit, a more consequential summit, because the Ukrainian president, Vladimir Zelensky, he's here in person. It's the first time he's been in person at a NATO summit. And don't forget, just for folks who don't know their, their landscape of Europe, we're in Vilnius, the capital of Lithuania. That's just 35 kilometers from the border with Belarus. And, of course, that's where there's some bad actors, some Wagner Group actors. Belarus is a Russian ally. So there, there's a reason NATO wanted to be almost on the border with Belarus, is to show they're united against uh, Russian aggression, etc. Um, Zelensky today, when he showed up, he's got a lot of asks. He wants weapons. He wants full membership in Ukraine. He's going to get some of the things he asked for, not everything. But the first thing he did when he got here this morning was he had a one-on-one meeting with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. And why is that? Well, Canada is, does not have all the weapons that Ukraine wants. Canada does not have the wealth that Ukraine needs to rebuild, etc. But because there's so many Ukrainians in Canada, more than any other country in the world, except for Ukraine itself, there's this special bond that has always existed between Canada and Ukraine. And the Canadian prime minister and U- the Ukrainian president uh, have always had uh, sort of a, because of that connection of people to people connection, have always had sort of a, a special bond. Uh, Stephen Harper had it with Ukrainian presence of his time, and Justin Trudeau has this special relationship with Zelensky. So Zelensky comes to this NATO meeting, and Canada, of course, is at the table at the G7, at NATO, you know, all, all those places. And so the value for Canada to Ukraine, not weapons, not wealth, but advice, counsel. What's the mood of the room? You were Justin Trudeau. You were with these guys yesterday. Who do I need to talk to? That's what Zelensky did this morning. And he has since, he's met with all the NATO leaders. Joe Biden is here, of course. Zelensky asking for weapons packages. He's going to get missiles from France. He's going to get some new weapon systems from Germany, some new weapon systems from uh, the United States. What he's not going to get is full uh, uh, membership in NATO. Uh, All countries, including Canada, saying, we want you to be a NATO ally. We want you to be in the club when the conditions are right. That's the phrase that NATO is using. And everybody's got different ideas about, okay, what are those conditions? I think most here think the war's got to be over first well, with Russia, and Ukraine's got to win it, of course. But then other allies are worried about corruption in Ukraine, and this was a problem before the war. It continues to be a problem, uh, and, and some NATO allies are worried about that. Others worried about the interoperability of, of the militaries in Ukraine, the NATO militaries. Um, again, that's not satisfying uh, uh, Zelensky. He, uh, he wants... He wants in NATO now. He thinks that would help deter the Russians. We, we know that obviously this is top of the agenda when it comes to the meetings for the NATO leaders. What else, uh, what other items are on, on the agenda, uh, David? 
Yeah, Ukraine talks, there is lots. Uh, this morning, uh, the leaders from Japan, from South Korea, New Zealand, Australia, they all joined the meeting. Remember, it's the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. They're a long way from the North Atlantic. Why is that? Because NATO is a security alliance. And right now, one of the big security concerns for NATO members is China. Now, NATO's uh, Secretary General, Jens Stoltenberg, he said this morning, listen, China's not our adversary, but China is growing more and more aggressive. And so NATO sat down with leaders from the region, as I mentioned, Japan, South Korea, to talk about some general, what, where are we gonna, how are we going to deal with China? That provoked a response this morning from China. China and Beijing very angry about this and says if NATO expands in the Indo-Pacific, it will be met with a, quote, robust response. So far, uh, as far as I can tell, the only thing NATO is planning on at this point, they might open an office in Tokyo. That's about it. They're not moving any battle groups or something into the Pacific. But even that has got China's attention. So that was on the agenda today. Cybersecurity was a big deal. Defense spending by all NATO allies. That's always a perennial topic. Of course, Canada is a bit of a laggard in that respect. Um, but, yeah, very full agenda these two days here. David, any response from Vladimir Putin and Russia at this point about the G7 plan, about, uh, you know, Zelensky even being there and speaking to all of the NATO allies? Yes, I'm glad you asked about that, because one of the things Zelensky wants is, is if he can't be a member of NATO, he wants some security guarantees from NATO. We're not, we may hear more. The day's not done here yet. We may get details on that. But essentially, it would be saying NATO is going to guarantee the security of Ukraine and do something, uh, provide more weapons or do something. We, we don't know. But a security guarantee, that's got Putin and the Kremlin spooked. And they put out a statement this morning saying that if NATO does that, that would be, quote, dangerous. So uh, that has been one of the fears of NATO. They want to help Ukraine as much as they, they can without provoking further regression uh, by Russia. It's an unstable neighborhood as it is right now. I mean, as I say, we're 36 kilometers from the border with Belarus. It's only a couple hundred kilometers to Russia from here. And so uh, so there is a NATO wants to proceed cautiously. But on the other hand, they know they have to support Ukraine. Because if, 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 if Putin is allowed to do what he's done to Ukraine, you know, what's next? Latvia, uh, the Baltics, uh, Lithuania, uh, you name it. And so uh, the line's got to be drawn at Ukraine. Right. Again, very ambitious as far as the agenda, as you've covered for us, David, and again, in the middle of it right now. How long does the uh, summit continue for? It's uh, It literally is wrapping up. They've been here yesterday. Uh, they all got here yesterday. They're here today. And just to remind folks, uh, Justin Trudeau, our, our prime minister, he started the week in Latvia. Uh, he was there on Monday. And the news there was uh, that Canada is going to nearly double its troop component in Central and Eastern Europe over the next three years. Don't know where the troops are coming from because the armed forces have a big problem right now with recruiting. But that was the deliverable from from Trudeau. And Trudeau said he's going to increase defense spending by a billion dollars and and for stuff in Eastern and Central Europe. And I come back to the defense spending, you know, Canada being a laggard. He made that Trudeau made that decision or announcement on Monday so that when he came here for these two days, um, if anybody said, hey, Canada, you're not, you're, not, you're not doing your part spending on defense, he goes, oh, but I just announced an extra billion dollars. But here's the thing. The parliamentary budget officer says if we were going to actually meet our NATO commitment, we would need to be spending like something an extra $18 billion a year, like a lot more money. And this, you know, I don't know if you can blame Justin Trudeau's government. Can Stephen Harper's government miss these targets? Paul Martin's government miss these targets? Jean Chrétien? Like everybody. I think Brian Mulroney was the last prime minister who met – uh, Canada's NATO commitment. And we agreed in writing. We said we spent 2% of our GDP on defense. Mulroney did it. 
Nobody else has done it since. And right now, I think we're spending something like 1.3%. So that's that's not a happy story for Trudeau. And that's why, as I say, he started the week in Latvia at least. Okay, here's a billion dollars. So he had something to talk about while he's here. And our NATO allies notice this, especially the Europeans. They take note that, that Canada is a pretty wealthy country. And they, they kind of don't understand why uh, Canada isn't poning up for its own defense. Thank you so much for breaking it all down for us, David. Appreciate your time this morning. No problem. Have a great day, guys. Thanks, you too. David Aiken is Global's chief political correspondent. We are now 12 days into strike action at more than 30 B.C. ports. What impact is strike action having on not only the economy, but Canadians on the whole? Uh, joining us to discuss is Pedro Antunes, uh, chief economist at the Conference Board of Canada. Good morning to you, Pedro. Good morning. Before we talk about the impact and, and perhaps the lasting impact down the line with, with even 12 days behind us, let's get the latest because we are hearing uh, that uh, talks uh, you know, are, are heating up, uh, perhaps in a good way. Yeah, in fact, uh, I, just like you and your and your listeners, I was uh, reading the news this morning, and it seemed a little more positive. Uh, certainly, around uh, the, I guess, the information that the union and the uh, employers are closer to or close to uh, an agreement. Uh, certainly, uh, the message was that they're close enough that this shouldn't continue to hamper trade. So, hopefully, we'll have a resolution to this because. It is uh, a very, uh, how should I say, a very important trade route for all of Canada. And, uh, you know, the longer this lasts, the more impact we're going to have. And Pedro, on that note, I mean, obviously it's it's only 12 days, but those 12 days can be super important. So do you think there will be fallout? There will be an impact on Canada's supply chain because of this strike, no matter how short or long term it might be? Yeah, there's, I mean, obviously, you know, uh, I know that, uh, you know, kind of in industry in Canada has been very resilient at looking at other options uh, during the pandemic. So we saw some examples of that. But nonetheless, this is such an important uh, uh, trade route for us. In fact, uh, you know, about 16% of our total trade imports and exports goes go through uh, BC ports and uh, Prince Rupert and uh, the Vancouver port being the most, uh, the most important. So, uh, you, you know, we're, we're, we're seeing this loss on a daily basis. There's different estimates out there by our own estimates. Uh, some of the numbers that we got from Statistics Canada about the, the amount of trade that goes through the, the just two ports in BC, uh, we know we're talking, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. We have it at around $500 million, $540 million a, a day. So, you know, 12 days of strike, uh, a month of strike would be $16 billion. So we're nearing in on half a month of that. Now, where does that show up? You know, obviously, when we think about strikes, often we think about just the activity within the industry itself. The ports obviously aren't working and they'd have some supply chain impacts on transportation like rail and, and trucking. But the, the bigger impact of this is, you know, we've shut down the ability of our, our imports to get in, especially imports, because the, the we import more through those ports than we export. Um, but nonetheless, both imports and exports are affected. And if we can't catch that up in months to come as, as the ports reopen, then that means a net loss to the economy. We talked about, you know, the cost, the dollar figures involved, Pedro, but let's also talk about the timing. Is, is it a... Uh, I guess uh, a linear comparison, we're 12 days into it, we're 12 days behind, or does it get compounded because things maybe have to be rerouted or, or sent back to their destination? How, how does that work for timing? 
Yeah, I mean, obviously there's there's issues here. You know, when when we think about, for for example, red meat products is one of the uh, uh, one of the the uh, um, I guess goods that that have been hampered by this. Uh, you know, we could end up with uh, just losses. Uh, essentially, uh, you know, some of these goods may be perishable. Uh, in other cases, we may not be able to catch up. And and, and in fact, we're he we're hearing about some industries already shutting down. If they're shutting down, uh, you can't. You know, you can you possibly increase production later on to try and catch up, but more likely, you know, we're going to see uh, some net losses that uh, that we can't catch up on. Um, can we reroute? Yeah, I think there's attempts at rerouting. As I mentioned earlier, I think supply chains are, are tend to be very resilient, uh, but we're also hearing about you know port uh, port workers in in the U.S. refusing to move Canadian container traffic. So I'm not quite sure if we are able to do that or if that's going to have impacts there as well. Um, yeah, and it, it is uh, it is a concerning piece, and I think when we think longer term, you think about you know the positioning of Canada as an investment uh, destination for the rest of the world. Uh, you know, we've already had issues with pipelines, we've had issues with other big investment projects. Uh, you know, will this hamper kind of that view of Canada as a good place to invest, especially for? Those decisions, uh, those investment decisions that favor the U.S. versus Canada, we're lagging behind greatly in terms of private investment in productive capacity and capital. And, uh, you know, this is not going to help. Pedro, thanks so much for breaking it down. Day 12 of strike action at BC Ports. Thanks for joining us this morning. It's a pleasure. You're very welcome. Thank you. Pedro Otunas, Chief Economist with the Conference Board of Canada. This is it. Mm -hmm. It's a tradition. Mm -hmm. It's been on for 100 years. Oof. 100 years of flapjack flipping. A gentleman who's not flipped for 100 years. No, no. Although somebody in here might razz him for how long he's been flipping flapjacks. Somebody told us it was close to that number. Ladies and gentlemen from the Stampede Caravan, Mike, they call him Spike McIver. I've not <laughs> had the opportunity to meet this gentleman. A good morning to you, Mr. McIver. Well, Mister's a little far-fetched, but hi, Andrew, and hi, Sue. How's it going there? Very well, thank you. How's it going where you are? Dave's dad, obviously, uh, Mike Spike McIver, hi, Dave dad. McIver's dad. Uh, Dave's here with us. He said he insisted that he would chat with you as well. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, if I have okay. to talk to him again. Ugh, sick of the guy. Uh, how many pancakes have you flipped so far during Stampede? Do you have any idea, Mike? Uh, we're going to, let's put it this way, Sue. We're doing, we'll probably do 10,000 people today, and they get two each. That's just today. Wow. So we've been going since Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and uh, we get Sunday off. Oh, that's good of them to give you one day One out of ten. <laughs> and, you know, young McIver, Dave, you were recounting that... Yes, younger. Young. <laughs> you were recounting that, you know, 10 days of stampede. You know your dad was in it because you, you'd barely see the guy for 10 days. Well, Dad, when you were a, a younger man, I remember you used to go and do your stampede breakfast in the morning. It'd be rodeo in the afternoon and then a stampede event at night. Now, I know you're slowing down a little bit these days. <laughs> I was over at the house yesterday. We were taking care of uh, my sister's kids a little bit, and, and you're not doing the full day full full day anymore because I wouldn't see you for 10 days. So are, are the, the days catching up to you a little bit uh, nowadays? Well, they, they are a little bit. you got to remember, we started this about 42, 44 years ago with a guy named Bill Simons, and we had about eight guys on the committee. Now we got about 150 on the committee, and we have two. two. we got an A and a B, and uh, so we do shopping malls every morning. So 
it's been a long run, but I'll tell you, the community, you know, the, the people that are going to come out here, we're going to serve right now about 140 band members. That's over and above the 10,000 that we're going to do today, just uh, what we're going to do here at South Center. So it's a lot of fun, though. The people that come out here, they really enjoy themselves, and I think that's why we do it, uh, the, the volunteers that we have here. We've got guys who have been here longer than me, with 40, 45 years, that have been doing it year after year. So it's a lot of fun. Sounds like you started when you were 10 years old then with those numbers. So uh, that's what I wanted to ask you. Why Why do you keep doing it, though? I mean, you know, we're all getting up there. It's tiring to do that every single day for 10 days. Why do you keep it up? Well, because I think the biggest thing, I was involved with the Midget AAA hockey for 17 years, and I think what I like about it is when you volunteer for something, you get a little bit out of it. So I told my buddy Dave Tainch, who's, He's my sidekick here. And I said to Dave, the minute I don't enjoy giggling and laughing at 5.36 in the morning, <laughs> maybe over a cold beer, but, uh, you know, I don't want to do it anymore. So we're still doing it because we giggle and laugh and we, we just see the smile. And even on the kids' faces, they got pony rides here as well. And the bre- It's just a lot. It's, it's just a good feeling. And a lot of people put a lot of hard work into it. And what, what I think is cool, Mike Spike McIver, is the fact that, you know, so often we have friends from our work and we have, you know, we're in the same industry or your friends that are your neighbors. It seems to me that when I've met folks on the caravan, all different walks of life. So what a great opportunity to meet people who, you know, from from plumbers to folks who work in communications to accountants. Yeah, there. You know what, Andrew? You're 100 percent right. We we got guys I have lifelong friends now that were policemen, that were firemen, were accountants, uh, lawyers. And Mike Casey was he was uh, the president of the Stampede, and he was a uh, he was a uh, just a volunteer here with the Caravan Committee. Made his way up through as a chairman, and then he went in as a director and became the the uh, the president of the Calgary Stampede a few years back. So we have those people. I bet you we have ten past chairmen that come back to this committee and continue to do the grunt work, as we call it, the pouring the batter, cleaning the stove. And they were the they were the guys that were running the show here, and now they just come back because, again, they just enjoy it and have some fun. You know what I love about it is it feels like it's kind of a small-town thing to me, yep. yet it's not. It's become so huge. And like you said, with the numbers that you're serving just today at South Centre, it's massive, but it still kind of makes us feel like we live in a, in a small city, a small town, with that kind of warm feeling where we're just kind of getting together with friends and, and eating pancakes. Yeah, and you know what? You're right, Sue. And we have meetings every couple, you know, as, as we leave Stampede, we're planning for next year. So you're seeing a lot of those people again. A lot of people take holidays and stuff. But we start planning again, and then we end up, you know, we end up back here at the same place, you know, and just enjoying it and giggling and laughing is the biggest thing. Love it. So, Pops, um, Sunday, obviously, you're off, as you've, uh, as you've mentioned. Uh, is it the baseball game Sunday we're doing, or are we, we heading down to the rodeo? <laughs> We're going to the rodeo, Dave. <laughs> Sorry, bud. I knew the answer. The dogs, I knew the answer. The, the dogs play all summer, bud, but the, the rodeo is, Dave and I have done this for, uh, you know, kind of a little bit of a tradition, and, you know, it's it's great to get the people that stand on the tarmac and watch the rodeo, so, yeah, I got to make one more day down at the rodeo, bud. <laughs> You're keeping Love it going. Love it. Uh, are you eating pancakes still, or are you sick of them? No, I've never had a pancake since 42 years ago, whether you're at home or at the Stampede. I eat so much the very first year I started this that I'll never eat down the way. But we're doing, wild. the one thing you got to understand that we're down here at the center, and it's pink shirt day, so a lot of us are wearing pink cowboy shirts. It's to honor uh, breast cancer. We have two stations that are cooking just pink pancakes, 
and we got pink tablecloths and like it's it's a pretty pretty incredible scene when you look at it when they, when you can honor those ladies that are going through what they're going through. Fantastic! Thank you for doing what you do. Yeah, well, you're welcome. <laughs> and thanks for giving us Dave McIver. <laughs> <laughs> well. That's your problem. Oh. <laughs> Once was yours, it's now ours. <laughs> it is yours. No, not mine. Okay, no. hey guys, thank you very, very much. Thanks, Mike. Have that a great day. Mike, the Spike McIver, Stampede Caravan Volunteer and Committee member. Uh, you can meet him at South Center right now. Get down there. Head on down. Eat your face off. I love you, Dad.